Across the length and breadth of our great land that dare challenge the king's best knight? I do, sir. And you are, sir? Lister of Smag. <laughs> Good night. You accept this challenge from Lister of Smeg? I do, my king. And what do you claim of the victory should be yours, my lord? I claim nothing, sire. Serving the king is reward enough. <laughs> And you, Lister of Smeg, what prize do you claim if you should defeat my best knight? I claim, my lord, a night and a day in the bed of your good lady. Bring me this knave's manhood on a silver platter. Hey, steady. Then disembowel him and feed his innards to the crow. Yeah! worse than playing away at Leeds. Release the princess, but prepare for wizardly combat. I want to show you a trick mother showed me when you weren't around. Covering the Dungeon Crawl Classics role-playing game and old-school adventuring. It's time to party like it's 1974. Tonight's episode, the Spellburners are finally recovered from Gen Con, bubonic plague, faulty wireless routers, and a host of other miscellaneous fumble rolls that have kept us off the air for a few weeks. All three of us are going to just kick back tonight in our leather recliners and answer emails and tell tall tales of the con. Uh, Our pain is your gain, because this week we're going to discuss all the dungeon-crawling news, noteworthy events, and even how two of us got to meet Hugh the Barbarian. All at this year's Gen Con. I'm Judge Jim, and with me tonight are my two recovered co-hosts, Judge Job. I don't know if I'm recovered, but I'm here. And Judge Jeffrey. Hey, everyone. So what's up, guys? It's been a while. It has been a while. Way too long. I miss you guys when I don't get to do these shows with you. I know, it was weird. It was a long gap. I was used to talking to you guys every week for a while there, and then it was all a big gap, and people are out at cons and having a good time, and uh, I was stuck at home, and... Yeah, I'm sorry I didn't get a chance to meet you, but next con, next year. Yeah, hopefully things will work out better for me next time. I'm I'm glad that we've gotten to meet once before in, in person, Jeffrey, but for purely selfish reasons, I was disappointed you didn't make it to Gen Con. I really wanted to make it. I was going to try, but had a, it, just, it just didn't come together. We were able to game together almost every day. I know. I kept seeing the pictures. I was living vicariously through you guys on like Facebook and uh, you know various pictures. I'm like, oh, there's Job, and I'm like, hey, there's Jim, and I'm all like, hey, there they are at the same table, and I'm like, I could have been there. So yeah, it was, it was disappointing not to make it. I always post that stuff for people that can't make it so that they can see, but that uh, torques some people off. Uh, we were talking before the show started about uh, DM Glenn from 
save or die and Thaco's hammer, and he's always like, I can't go, so I don't want to hear about it. No, no, I like to see. I like to live vicariously through the pictures and see what I'm missing out. I like it that way. All right, let's take this program over to the tavern. And the first rule of bartending is this. GBTB. Go beyond the book. Go beyond the book. What do you have? Heineken. Tavern Tavern talk. So what non-Gen Con gaming have we been doing this past week, Joe? I went to PAX this weekend. I was so con-burned and and not sick, just so sick of gaming by by this time after I'd been through... I, I don't know how many days of gaming with Dragonflight and, and Gen Con, but I didn't do very much gaming. I was planning on running games, and uh, I just I just couldn't stomach doing it. So I kind of played other people's games. I played a little 13th Age, sold a few of my game modules at one of the booths there, and just chatted with friends and tried to take it easy. Uh, you should have seen DM Todd's face light up when I hit him up with that copy of the Fallen Idol module you wrote. Awesome. Yeah, the cover on that thing looked awesome when I saw that. It was just that was super cool. That reminds me too. I, I was like re-listening to episode eight, and I, I said Stephen Pogue like three times, and it's Stefan. I don't know. I think maybe I might be a little bit uh, dyslexic, like you, Jim. <laughs> maybe it's catching. Yeah, I, I, sometimes I just get something in my brain, and even I'll read it and say it right in my head, and it just comes out wrong. Weird things trip me up. I have trouble pronouncing Rob Koontz's name correctly, and poor John Hirsch. Burger, I could I call him everything but Hirschberger, John Hirschbergen, or never mind, it doesn't matter. So how about you, Jeffrey? What you, what have you been doing in gaming? Mainly my uh, online DCC RPG game. Uh, shoot, it's been such a long time to record. We've had two or three sessions of that. Uh, let's see, last they left, they were trying to take over a, a temple of a moon goddess, which they succeeded in doing. Uh, I'd actually had a pretty sweet avatar fight with the avatar of the moon goddess that took the shape of this like silvery moonlight colored dragon thing but the wizards were on a roll and the the one wizard critted a, a pretty major spellcaster right off the bat spell burned and rolled a 20 and it just had a great magic missile that pretty much destroyed that spellcaster right away and he also ended the battle to, with the avatar with another very strong spellburned uh, magic missile. It was still a great time, touch and go here and there. It was probably that wizard's last gasp to go. So it, it played out really well. They came out on top. Uh, they now own a temple of the moon, which they're pretty ecstatic about. And from there, we've moved into uh, the Sea Queen of this is this is the place where the priestesses had put the hit out on them, right? It is, it is. That's why they'd gone into the temple, because the abbotess and the handmaidens had put out a uh, bounty on each of the party's heads for stealing a certain item from the temple. Uh, that had been plaguing them. They ignored it sort of initially, and then they kept seeing, you know, these people keep coming after us, different people. And uh, so that, that was their motivation to go try to take out these clergy at the Temple of the Moon, so... All breaking bad. Get them before they get you. Exactly. Uh. <laughs> that, that was the theory they took, and it, it worked out pretty well. It was a, it was a good, it was a fun session. It, it went pretty well. We were pretty happy with it. So that's what I've been up to. Well, our uh, regular DCC RPG group is kind of going through a uh, transition because uh, we've had a couple of kind of crummy games in a row, and and um, poor DM Marcos is is uh, getting tired of saying, "Are you sure you want to do that?" So uh, we're actually going to play this coming Saturday, and we're going to take a break. And uh, Marcos and I have worked it out where I'm going to jump behind the screen, and we're going to play test some stuff that I'm writing. 
and uh, see how that goes. I'm uh, if this episode airs before Saturday, and anybody listening is playing. Dia Marcos has been far more gentle than I plan on being <laughs> in my character funnel. You I'm have just gonna been ask, warned. I'm just going to go ahead and say, okay, who who wants to go first? Hands up, you soldier! Bang, you're dead. All right, now do I have everyone's attention? No, that, that, I won't be like that. But I'm, I'm, you know, if you do stupid things, you will die. As it should be. And our Save or Die Crew Plus One Basic D and D game is just—we had like a stellar one, and it's so it's it's the essence of old school gaming because we're just playing first level characters. I mean, we got nothing to our name. We're we're in there chintzing around with the blacksmith trying to dig through our pockets to pay him enough to uh, put some silver on the edge of our swords because we got jumped by were rats, right? And we got to go up against a numerically superior force of characters with a, like a second or third level evil mage behind him, and I chased that bastard all through the woods. We took out his guys. He chugged an invisibility potion, and I chased him for blocks, and if I hadn't screwed up a couple of rolls, I'd have gotten him. And I just, it sounds simple, and maybe it sounds stupid, but it was the most fun I've had playing in years. Awesome. This is Angry Monk's game? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, like, I, I don't have any freaking spells except a couple of heals, and uh, and he gave me those. I shouldn't have any spells as a first-level cleric in basic D&D. And, uh, you know, we're half tore up, but we managed to get a couple, three of his goons, and he got spooked and chugged an invisibility potion. And I let the guy on me hit me, scooped up a big handful of dirt and threw it in his direction, and that tagged him enough that we could see him and keep shooting at him. <laughs> so, old-school goodness. Uh, how about we summon some emails? You've got mail. Message for you, sir. Summon email. Boy, we got lots of emails. Let's try and chug through them. I'll, I'll take the first one. DM Kojo wrote us two very nice emails that were basically the same email written twice. I think he just got excited. So uh, how about I read one of those? It's from DM Kojo. He says, hi, guys. Tonight, I finally had the chance to play DCC RPG with some of my gaming group. I had very experienced players who also own DCC RPG, a moderately experienced D&D player, and a guy who hasn't gamed in 30 years. After a relatively quick character generation phase, they each had five zero-level PCs ready to play. We ran one practice combat to get used to the flow and then started out in Sailors of the Starless Seas. Uh, three hours later, they had lost about 10 PCs, had another 10 recover from death when rolled over, and added several new level uh, zero-level PCs to the party. They had completely cleaned out the keep and were getting ready to descend into the depths below. By the time we stopped for the night, the lowly street urchin, whose random piece of equipment had been a holy symbol, had leveled up and chosen to become a cleric. I can already see my players getting attached to certain PCs as they survive one peril after another and emerge, clinging to life. In the end, we all agreed that the character creation funnel and combat systems flowed very well, even for the rookie gamer, and the adventure was a lot of fun to play. We are looking forward to expanding DCC RPG to the rest of my gaming group in future sessions, but I can honestly say we are all hooked. Burn on Spellburners. Another victim. Ka-ching. Sounds like great. <laughs> Sounds like a good time. Sounds like the session went really well. Yeah, and thanks, DM Kojo, for that uh, shout-out on RFI. I just was listening to that this morning, so thank you. Okay, who wants to get the next email? 
This one is from Montana, who writes, Hey, Spellburn crew. I played DCC for my first time at NTRPG Con, and I fell in love with the game's punk rock attitude and weird magic. I'd love to try using DCC for my home game, but the problem is my home game I'm currently running is using Swords and Wizardry rules, which works well with our large and fluctuating group that consists of 6 to 10 players weekly. Do you think DCC can be played with a group this large, or is it likely that the game will start to break down with two wizards, a cleric, three fighters, and two thieves? Let me know of any experiences you've had with groups this large and how the game operated. Montana, did you write the right guys? Yeah, definitely. Okay, well, I mean, uh, still, my, my biggest group has been... Con, Con King, who, who ran how many games <laughs> in the past two months? Yeah, well, yeah, I should have talked about it at the, at the front of the show, but I figured we're talking about Gen Con, so I'll just save that. But I've only done eight people max, and I did it multiple times uh, during the uh, five days I was in uh, Indianapolis a couple weeks ago. I, I don't have a problem running that many people through DCC games. It's, uh, you know, there's, a, there's not some huge number of, of spells and actions that people have that, that, that bog down the game. I don't know. What do you guys think? Um, in my group, my online group, some of the guys play uh, multiple characters. I'm comfortable with them doing that if that's if they like that. Others don't like it, so they just play their one. But we'll run anywhere, you know, with the group fluctuating between real people playing and the number of characters they play, anywhere between you know six and eight, six and nine characters being played. It, it goes pretty well. It goes pretty smooth, especially as you pick up the rules. It, it, it flows. It doesn't bog down like I think one might think. Because, like I said, there's just, you, you know, you get your relatively small spell list. There's not a lot of feats to think about, you know, what you're going to do next next round. It's a little more theater of the mind. So I think it runs fine with some of the larger groups, uh, even as you get out of the funnel and into actual leveled characters. I've been paying very close attention and. uh con games that tend to be uh, large, especially uh, you, Job, and uh, Michael Curtis. I've been paying very close attention to what you guys do because traditionally the thing I've run for decades has been Gamma World, and my comfort zone is four or five players, maybe six. And that starts to get to be, uh, starts to tax me a little bit. So I've been studying from you guys because I'm getting ready, as I told you, to, to run a game. And that's going to be, that could be anywhere from nine to 12 people showing up. So I may be calling you guys for help. All right. Saturday, I mean, uh, Saturday night. My, Help! What do I do? <laughs> I, I, I mean, I prefer a five-person group. You don't have to be such a taskmaster as a DM and say, okay, now what is this next person? And, and trying to balance everybody being in the limelight and not let one person dominate the, you know, the whole adventure. I'd agree with that too, Joe. That you know, I think my ideal group is like the five or six number, because, like you said, you do. I think when you get the larger numbers, even if it's not that bad, you you become more the taskmaster of okay, you've done your thing. On to the next person. On the next thing. I always try to take real, pay real close attention to my initiative order and make sure I'm up with the initiative order. So it's not like okay, who's next? I'm ready to roll right to the next person. But so yeah, I, I certainly think you know five five or six is probably my ideal. But I, like I said, I don't have problems running with eight or nine or something like that. I learned a little trick from Jim Ward that he uses at conventions, and he says it right up front before the adventure begins. He says, I just want you to know how I GM. If you say it out loud, your character did it. And that cuts a lot of the clowning around out. Yeah, I'm sure it would. So, Montana, there's advice from two thoroughly competent judges and me. You think I'm competent, Jim? More than. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> Except for when I broke your adventure, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> I don't know. I saw you in lots of pictures at Gen Con, Job, standing up, running, and lots of people saying, hey, I played in Job's game, so you must be doing something right out there. Dude, he's he's like the marathon man too, the Iron Man, because uh, it was there was all the con games, and then 
we took over the Embassy Suites bar, and we're running DCC games there every single night. We, not me. I was playing. But, and Joe would, would – after the con, games are all over. Joe was running games in the bar to like the middle of the night. That's awesome. I love you know running games with, with Doug. So, I mean – uh, who's going to pass up on that? On that, that's one one chance in a year, and uh, you know, co GMing games uh, a few nights in a row with Doug Kovacs. I mean, come on. Well, yeah, allow me to heap some additional praise on you then, because Doug is insane as a GM, and you were keeping up with him, which is pretty cool. Uh, thanks. <laughs> okay, who's got the next email? I think that falls to me. Okay, this is from Steve. Hello, Spellburn crew. It's your old pal Steve again. And as you can see from the picture below, I'm a big fan of large, awesomely cool skull belt buckles. Right on. I'm a Canadian prop builder and gamer living in Macau, China. And I was wondering how I could possibly get my hands on one of those fantastic DCCRPG belt buckles. According to what I've read, you can only get one if you run DCCRPG games at conventions. Unfortunately, there are no gaming conventions here in Macau, Hong Kong, or China that I'm aware of. If there are, please let me know, and I'll be more than happy to spread the awesome chaos of DCCRPG here in the Far East. If there are no conventions, let me know what I can do to get one. Cheers and many thanks from, uh, for your awesome show, Steve. P.S. I threw in a bunch of pictures of the crazy props I've been building this past year. Oh, this guy is crazy, too. Before I knew he was a prop builder, he put that picture online of him biting a rule book, taking a bite out of a rule book, and everybody, uh, yeah. everybody freaked out because they... They said, "Will you Photoshop that?" And he goes, "No, I didn't. That's real." And then they thought he'd, he'd really taken a chunk out of his rule book. Yeah, I saw yeah. that. I, I posted on there a comment. I was like, "Man, there was nothing to do in Macau, China, apparently." But then uh, <laughs> I found out that that's his job. Like that's how he has fun. So that's rad. Yeah, and I'll tell you some of the yeah, pictures we- he attached on that email. I don't know if you guys got a chance to look at him, but the, some of the skull things he's got going on, and then he's got some of the armor stuff in some of those pictures and stuff. He's got some cool stuff <laughs> in there. Steve, if you're listening, you need to post that to G+, so everyone can see it. Yeah, definitely. And uh, maybe direct this email to uh, uh, Joseph Goodman to see what else you could possibly do. No, I actually have an answer for him, because I hang out on Goodman Game Forums. So you can actually run online games and get credit for for this. You don't have to be at a physical convention. So, Steve, if you want to earn that belt buckle... um, there's still a few months left in the year. You can run some online DCCRPG games. Make sure that they are well-publicized and uh, send that email into info, info at goodman-games.com and you can actually earn that belt buckle. So good luck to you. Well, shoot, I and didn't I, know you I, could do online games. I may have to step up my game here before the, before the world tour ends. Who is that crazy guy on Google Plus that ran his seven games all at one at PAX? That that was a, a guy named Brandon. He posted on my I, I posted his play report on my blog, and uh, he was insane. I followed him on Twitter over the weekend and stuff. He was doing that, and he got seven games in three days, I think. Uh, at, at Dragon Con is where he was at. Oh, Dragon Con. Yep. Yeah, I was going to say yeah. at PAX. I, I I didn't see anybody. Yeah, he ran seven games in three days at Dragon Con. It was pretty intense. He posted his whole re- play report up at uh, irontavern.com for folks that want to see it. But uh, it was it was pretty cool. It was uh, sweet at Gen Con. Um, I got my hands on a brass buckle, but all I had to do was roll a five on a D20 at the booth. Oh, you bastard. <laughs> well, my, my story is going to be from now on that podcasts must count, but because we're up to nine. But uh, Yeah, there you go. 
Jeffrey, I, you could try. You could try that. Yeah, I could. I, I, you know, I've been wanting to run something online, like even just something, you know, Portal Under the Stars, run a couple of those, because I just know there's a lot of new people coming in, and sometimes people have a hard time with the, you know, getting to a gaming convention or something. So, as the as the days get shorter, I'll probably have a little bit more time free up, and, and maybe this fall I'll run a couple online and see what I see if I can't score a buckle. Nice. Yeah, I, I you know, I. Even though I've written some stuff for um, freelance for Goodman Games, I had to run all the games and send in my emails and everything. So, cool. Yeah, I've got two runs. If I ran two at Origins, but those are the only public games that I've run so far. So, the next email is from Chris, who writes Jim, Job, and Jeffrey. I give two big thumbs up for the quality of the Spellburn podcast. Since uh, DCC came out, I have always wanted to give it a try, but struggled to convince my gaming group. Listening to this podcast has rekindled my interest in DCC. I'd like to thank Job for putting on an amazing Level Zero funnel at Dragonflight. Hey, I told you you were the Iron Man. Uh, My wife and I got to play in it, and we had a blast. Afterwards, my wife was almost as ecstatic as I was. We were both going to try and convince our gaming group to at least give a Level Zero funnel a try. One of my favorite aspects of this podcast is how the hosts go through various game mechanics. While the rules are not overly difficult, there are some nuances that make it uh, make a lot more sense after listening to the podcast. Uh, several others have suggested this, and I agree. Please go through a wizard spell duel. I'm going to stop the email right there and say, John B. says, your wish has been granted. If everything goes right, next episode, you're going to get your spell duel, and it's going to be crazy great. Yeah, it should be awesome. Do do we want to just let the cat out of the bag on the whole deal, or should we surprise people? I say we surprise people. People have been listening to have a, a, an inkling of what's going on. I, I like the surprise. I, I'm on the surprise camp, too. With a complete absence of Stan Lee-style uh, spin, this will be our best episode ever. So don't miss the next one. Wow, those are some uh, powerful words, Jim. Yeah, that's some pressure now. Uh, no, well, fortunately not on us. Our our special guest. Anyway, uh, Chris continues, I would like to end with several questions on the same topic. What is your opinion of having an adventure party with varying levels? Oh, this is a great question. Uh, When a new PC joins the party, do they start at level zero, even though everyone else might be first or second? What if a second second level party has a PC die? Do they start out with four level zeros and join up with the rest of the party? Do you play a new level zero funnel with everyone and take the survivors as a new pool of PCs to pick from? You mentioned previously that DCC PC levels tend to equate to roughly two times the level of other additions. Does this make the disparity with a third level party that takes on a first level PC even more pronounced? Thanks and keep up the good work, Chris. Well, first, thank you for the very, very kind words. Yeah, thank you. Jeffrey, you're probably the best one to answer this with your uh, with, with your uh, blog posts about this exact topic. Yeah, I've experimented with several different ways of doing this, and it really sort of depends on the level that my party's at. First, playing with varying levels, that doesn't seem to impact much at all. Uh, really, uh, most recently, we were running a, about half the party was third level, half the party was fourth level. Uh, before that, I've done like second and third. So mixing party levels uh, within a group isn't too big a deal. If anything, it, it, it's a break for the level zeros coming in because they ramp up fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They do go up fast. Oh, the ones that live. Yeah. 
as far as when you have a character die and having other people join, if my party is in the first and second level range, then I'm more likely to have them bring in level zeros, multiple level zeros, maybe three level zeros, and then work those guys up. Um, once it gets to about third level, then, I don't know, I do seem to feel a bit more disparity between bringing in the zero levels so or the third. They just, I don't know, it, they seem to get it killed relatively quickly. So I've done everything from use Purple Sorcerer to come up with your, you know, four level zeros, choose which one you want to level up to level one or two. Uh, I've done what we called a cutscene funnel in the past, which was when most of my characters were about third level. We actually took a break, put those characters on the shelf for a little bit, and I ran another zero level funnel with the intent of building up a pool of PCs to pick from. It was done in the same campaign world, the stories tied together, uh, you know, so there was some overlap with it, and we ran that. And that's where the most recent batch of uh, replacement PCs in my campaign came from, was that cut level uh, or cutscene uh, zero level pool. Uh, and that worked out pretty well too. The biggest con of that is just as those start to die off, I'm not sure how often I want to run a cutscene zero level funnel, but it worked well the first time. No, funnels are fun. Yeah, and that's the biggest reason we did the cutscene one was like, you know, hey, it would be fun that we hadn't done a funnel for a while. And uh, everyone had a good time doing it. But yeah, it was a great way to rerun a funnel without having to like restart a whole campaign or anything like that. Sometimes um, I can't tell if if it's the funnel I enjoy or just creating those level zeros. It is fun seeing what you end up with, like all the little professions I, and stuff. Yeah, you know, I just uh, I guess probably one of the reasons I like the funnel the most because it's it's like the essence of what's fun about you know older editions of D anD D, which is you know you got to MacGyver everything, you got a ten foot pole and some twine and a donkey and you know you got to figure out how to you know overcome i don't know the sphere of annihilation and that eight-armed gargoyle that's coming at you with earth corrupting magic (laughs) (laughs) right okay well uh thanks for writing in and uh i hope we answered your question it sounds like uh we gave you the perfect answer and you know the general rule of thumb in any of this stuff is uh do what you want and if you're having fun you're doing it right yeah, don't be afraid to experiment. My group's done a lot of experimentation with how to bring in replacement characters, and none of them have failed in my eyes. And, you know, some seem a little better than others, but, it, you know, play around. Try what feels right to you. I don't know. I, you know, I'm, I like to keep it simple. I just do the, hey, roll up a new character, your third level, and let's come up with a semi-plausible way for you to get into this party. Yeah, and that, that works, too. You know, in the old days, when we were playing first edition AD&D, at one time or another, we did everything you guys just shared in the same yeah. campaign. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's lots of different ways to do it. We've been trying a lot of them in my group. Well, um, at first I thought we weren't going to be able to do an email show because we didn't have anything from Sneaky One-Eyed Ogre, but it looks like we have one. We do, and I think it's my turn to read too, right? Yes. I think it is. Okay, so this one, Stinky One-Eyed Ogre. He writes, Hail, Spellburners. I enjoyed having Glenn sit in for the last episode. It's nice to get a different perspective in there. I must admit, I was a bit skeptical about the game my first session, but came around quickly. I ran a playtest session at my local game store last night. Came out better than expected. Nice to see that I have smart enough players in a group to realize that Run for Your Lives is an option. Most of them survive. There you go. Exactly. I wish my players would learn that more often. Uh, Most of them survived the first few minor skirmishes enough to limp back to town for reinforcements. They are clamoring for another session soon. 
I was thinking about allowing some of the optional classes from Crawl Fanzine in my game. The ranger seems like a good choice, as there seem to be an unusually high number of hunters in the party. I was reading through the options. I know they have to specialize either in ranged or dual weapon attack, getting a deed die for their specialized attack method. The class table states that they only get the normal 1d20 attack. I was wondering how this works with dual weapon. I was thinking it would work sort of like halfling dual weapon with attacks unless they wanted to take a more defensive attack stance and use one weapon to defend, giving them a plus one AC for one attack like a buckler. I would love to hear your opinion on the matter. Yours sincerely, Yelrember the Mad. A.K.A. Stinky One-Eye Ogre. Yep. Hey, uh... Our Marcos, uh, DM, our Judge Marcos in our group is uh, allowing those classes, and we've got a guy running a ranger, and we handled it exactly like the uh, you would handle a halfling dual weapon. Have you guys run any of those classes? We I ran an an, uh, an anti paladin in one of mine until I until uh, he died, unfortunately. <laughs> but yeah, we had an anti paladin in one of our the group I run for for my home game. If people haven't picked up on it yet, they are very much chaos. Uh, normal plot hooks of go save the princess don't work with them. They're more interested in the gold and the money and power. <laughs> so chaotic evil. It, it, We're yes. always hiring. Yes, it's uh, yeah. <laughs> They're a fun group to run for. Uh, so anti paladin is the only one that we've had in in mind so far. Yeah, I, I read that issue of Crawl, and um, it was interesting. I haven't run it at the table. I keep saying that, you know, next playtest, I'm going to roll up some of those characters. Um, and I just haven't done it yet, but I, I definitely will do it soon. I think it's you, Joe. Yeah, yeah, it's to me. Okay, there we go. It's it's the little wheel in the middle of your mouse. Thank you. <laughs> this missive reaches us from the forums. <laughs> Sorry. Hosted by Sam Blaster. Shut up, you. Okay. <laughs> Posted by Sam Blaster. And our forums, if, you, if you're not familiar, are at osrgaming.org. After listening to all eight episodes, and some of them a few times, there are a lot of small questions to be handled, not only at level zero, but as you advance levels. In one episode, you talked about not leveling up the characters properly and that causing issues at the end of the adventure module. Can you expand on that? Well, since there's a lot of questions, do you want to expand on that, Jim, real quick? I had not ever played before. Our uh, judge had not ever played before. So as a group, we learned the, We just sat down with the rules, rolled up characters, and learned the rule set. Uh, one of the things we missed is that we thought the rule said that the level zero characters didn't level up to first level until the end of their first adventure. So the entire Sailors of the Starless Seas, we're not getting XPs per battle, and we're just dying like flies and rolling up new level zeros. And we went through weeks of this before we realized our mistake. That's what we did which was just a simple error. I mean, it was on everybody because we had decided as a group, <coughs> excuse me, we decided as a group that's how that, uh, uh, that's what the rule said. When they don't say that, they uh, encourage you to reward XP. So it's a minimum of one or two points per uh, successful battle that you either uh, kill the monster or run away and live, right? Hopefully. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you get XPs for that, too. You just get XPs for in DCC for surviving the encounter or defeating it. Not for treasure, not for monsters by hit die or any of that stuff like in D&D. So, uh, I mean, we had characters that should have been level one about halfway through the first go-around Sailor of the Starlet Sea, um, just like the uh, previous email stated. So, uh, that's, what ha- that's what we did. Wrong. <laughs> okay, and uh, this forum post continues. Also, the spell duel, which you've mentioned, along with more magic 
and how to deal with the negative effects. If you roll a Spellburn effect that you already have, do you re-roll or do you go to the next higher or lower? Or is it house rules? And if so, how do you do it? I think the writer means Mercurial Magic. Yeah, I, I guess so. Yeah, I was a little confused there. Well, unless it's the Spellburn table where you can roll to see, because there is a table inside the book that if you do Spellburn, you can roll on that table instead. Oh, the one where you do, it helps you figure out yeah, like what you did. Like I cut my ear off. Exactly. Or, if you're not, if you're not, you know, if you can't come up with something on the fly, and you're like, hey, I just need something, and there's a table you can roll on as a idea, inspirational table, I guess. So if you rolled, pull out all your fingernails twice, you don't have any fingernails to pull out. Correct. Sure. I mean, some of them I think you can do multiple times. I think it's like cut off your finger or something. Yeah. If it's a finger, you know, obviously I'd do more fingers. If it was something that couldn't be, you know, cut off your left arm and you can't do that again, then, you know, I'd either cut off. (laughs) I've already carved one eye into my forehead. Come on. Right. And in that case, I would probably either just bump up the table or down the table, depending on what looked more fun as the judge. I looked up uh, this up actually up on the Goodman Game and uh, Games forums. And if you're out of fingers, you're supposed to move on to toes. <laughs> that is good to know. <laughs> so noted. I just made that up, by the way. <laughs> I'm running with it. That sounds like a good rule to me. Good house rule. And uh, and and that's the ultimate answer to your question. House rule it however you please. Just stay consistent. Okay, the loot is also hard to gauge how to dole out. Since it's only 10 levels, is there a model you can give that will assist in ways to hand out loot? What do you guys think? I'm super stingy. Uh, my group's wander. In fact, I ran one adventure. I'm like, uh-oh, I have not given out enough loot for them to fight some of this stuff. So I had to sort of make some accommodations. But I'm sort of stingy. And I don't know why that is, but I think my group would agree that I'm sort of stingy when it comes to handing out loot. Uh, and I'm not sure why, but I am. The Joe Goodman uh, advocates for being stingy um, in the book, too, in the core rule book. So you're in good company. I mean, my group's sitting at fourth level now, and they've probably got two magic weapons amongst all of them or something like that. They're starting to acquire some more gold and money, but they're still, for fourth level, they're, they're they're certainly not rich. Yeah, I mean, the game is written, uh, presents a setting where that's very cash poor and everything's on the barter system to begin with, and magic is very rare and dangerous. So if you were to want to run it as in the spirit as written, that would be the, the system. But you can also use the uh, published adventures as a guide. Yeah, definitely. There's, uh, I think... A few of the adventures, the first time I read through, I just didn't notice that there were magic items in there. And then the second time I read it, I was like, oh, there's magic items here. And um, I should probably be giving out more, but I'm pretty stingy <laughs> like Jeffrey. Oh, so. trust me. I've got a wizard that ended up with the ring of Cesarecon or Cesarac, whatever it is. And uh, now I've got – it's a really great magic item. And so now I've got people chasing me for it. Nice. <laughs> My magic items tend to be uh, – you know, a mixed blessing. If I put a magic item in something, it's like, yeah, it, this is going to damage you every time you use it, but it, it probably could save your bacon too. Well, Judge Marcos is an excellent judge because I managed two games in a row to save the party's hash from a TPK by by managing to roll nat 20s out of that ring. Two, two sessions in a row, I managed a nat 20 at the critical moment. The third session, that's when I got the warning that there were interested parties in the next dimension over. <laughs> that, <laughs> that's, that, awesome. that's good judging there 
Okay, so it continues. Man, this is there's a lot of questions here. How to make or create magic items, potions, and the like. Um, so, yeah, the, the, uh, there's a whole section on magic items in the core rulebook. Um, you know, just buy it and flip to it, and it's got some really awesome ideas for rolling up magic swords, uh, potions, scrolls. I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think there's some decent tools inside the book. Uh, the sword stuff is pretty cool. Uh, random tables to help you get started. You can tweak as you want. Uh, there's uh, create potion spell, right? Yeah, so, spells, so, wands, and scrolls are all spells. Yeah. So and then so there's tips in each one of those on how to uh, how to go from there. So it, 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 I think the information is in the book. Uh, just a matter of sort of ferreting it out uh, and have fun with it too. I mean, it just you know, with the swords, you might pick and choose a couple key things off the table and make the rest of it up and that's totally allowable too and pull it from your favorite fantasy work of literature yeah definitely that's that's tried and true back in the 80s we all uh wanted that uh if you've seen are you guys old enough to have seen the old movie crawl we had like yeah like that spinning that spinning dagger thing yeah we all wanted one of those who wouldn't what was that thing called it was it, oh it was they called it a glaive but it wasn't a glaive at all yeah that's not hardly a glaive I love the uh, the Cyclops in that movie too he was like you know just terrible makeup job it was really cool oh god now you've got me channeling I can't even remember which movie it is but there was a triple bladed sword and it shot two of the blades at people yeah Dragon Slayer I think right I can't remember you're probably right yeah that was awesome okay wow okay there's more things going on here so. You discussed a GM screen, but Judge Jim said he got his as part of a Kickstarter, so could you please help with pointing us in the direction we can get a DCC DM screen that's currently for sale? Uh, you know, I think James Carpio's the Tales from the Fallen Empire had the DM screen. I think that's what you were talking about, Jim, right? Yes, and it's available in print. We can uh, post a link uh, along with the episode of exactly where to go to purchase it. And, and that's... Uh, a different campaign uh, that's a campaign guide like third party um so it's it's got the the core tables in it and also has some extra stuff with uh some like ship combat and some other stuff in it so it, it's it's interesting um and it, it has the what the the tables you you need in it and uh what nearly everybody i've seen does that is really going to invest in a screen has gotten i'm going to say this wrong uh that company that makes those vinyl screens with the clear plastic inserts swg is what i'm wanting to say it but that's not quite the right name do you guys know the one i mean i i know the one you mean i don't know who makes it yeah i don't know let's pull my inserts out it's in one of them keep talking but anyway the idea is they <laughs> They they make vinyl screens that are both horizontal and vertical landscape, whichever way you want. And uh, th- there are lots of uh, other people online that have published out what you would need, the stats and inserts you'd want to put in there. TWGS, the world's greatest screen by Hammerdog Games. So hammerdog.com. And continuing, I've played since 1978 all versions of D&D through 4E, Champion, Shadowrun, and Star Trek RPGs, and this rule set for me is amazing. I'm playing in an adult group and leading my teenage kids and nieces and nephews as GM. This rule set makes it a lot of fun without a lot of looking up skills, feats, abilities, and the like. But it would be really helpful if you would share how to actually roleplay. I am finding so many people are in it for the dice rolling and massive win over the actual game experience. And if you could share experiences that you had that differ when playing this rule set from the other RPGs, 
That would be a great seed for creativity and gameplay. When you guys want to pick this up? Well, uh, we actually did an entire show on Save or Die about the art of role-playing. So you could uh, check out it uh, at our sister podcast at uh, saveordie.info. And uh, that sounds like a perfectly fine topic for us to tackle someday, just the, the art of role-playing itself and how it integrates with this particular rule set. Yeah, I definitely think that could end up being an episode in and of itself. Uh, I mean, my group, I don't know, I think we've got a mix. Actually, we do, I'd probably say we're good mix. We're probably about 50-50. I mean, I've got a couple guys, their characters have been around for a while, and I mean, they have personalities, and they there's certain scenes that come up in the game where, you know, one of them's trying to convert people to their patron, and he'll do a whole speech. Shoot, one of his characters sang a sea shanty in a contest that happened in a little town called Slither's End out of one of the Purple Sorcerer monsters, and he came up with it on the spot and did it in session and it was pretty awesome so i think the, it's hard. the dudes the dudes sang in the game yeah he came up with this sea shanty in uh, during the game there's a contest uh that was happening in this town and uh he came up with this sea shanty on the fly and performed it on you know we were playing over a g plus roll 20 hangout stuff and uh he performed it on the fly i mean he just i'm like did you come up with that just like now and he's like yeah i just wrote it up and i'm all like that's pretty impressive so I think it varies by group to group, like with any any game. Uh, but I know in my game, did you, I got a couple guys. Did, for, did you luck point him up? When oh, he did yeah. That? Yeah, it, it worked out well for him because I was totally impressed. I think I gave him a luck point for it. And I think he won the contest because I, I wasn't coming up with anything that good on the fly. Uh, so, yeah, it, definitely. he It was pretty cool. He, his character, Gonlex, the... Uh, uh, the bard of Slither's End, even though he's really a warrior, but still. <laughs> well, and that's us- certainly a useful tool for judges in DCC to reward and encourage good role play. Yes, yes, and I do use luck for that. But uh, yeah, I think a lot of it varies from group to group. Uh, but yeah, I think you definitely could do an episode on that. Or check out the Save or Die, too, since you guys have already done one over there. Yeah, that was a good episode. I guess my advice on this is, you know, what I try to do as as a GM when I see people that are, you know, just rolling the dice um, is uh, I try to encourage them at least to start um, narrating what they're doing. So they roll the dice like, yeah, I hit. I'm like, okay, well, what weapon are you are you holding? You know, I have a, a battle axe. And I was like, okay, well, what do you do with that battle axe? Because you just killed this thing, you know, and just try to get them to get more into their character and, um, you know, try to encourage, uh, you know, R-O-L-E playing over R-O-L-L playing. There you go. Thanks so much for the podcast. It's awesome, entertaining, and informational all at the same time. Keep up the good work. Well, thank you very much, um, forum poster person. Slambaster. 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 Thank you very much. <laughs> Which thank would be you. very, very easy to mispronounce in an even cooler way. <laughs> Slambaster. Slambaster. <laughs> uh, th- you know, the, there's a lot of good questions in there, and um, you know, thanks a lot for your email, and looking forward to some more. I hope you, uh, you know, get your group into the game some more. Yeah, for, for sure. Let us know how it all works out. Okay, and I think we're down to the bottom of the email pile. Um, this is also from our forums. It says, uh, "Hey guys, love the podcast. Here's a quick question for your reader mail section. I'm curious how the other judges handle PC death. Example: If a character is bleeding out." and the cleric fails the heal in time, 
are you allowing people to just wait a few minutes so that they can invoke the recovering the body rule and just make a luck check? For what it's worth, the reason I ask is because I had a PC say the other day, ah, he's dead, but we'll just roll him over later and see what happens. When I hear that sort of blasé approach, lawful gods will notice and luck scores start becoming permanently altered. Keep up the good work. Stephen Newton with Thick Skull Adventures. Wow. Celebrity email. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a good email, Stephen. I, I, I know how uh, the blasé approach doesn't last long the second or third time your character gets rolled over like that. Yeah, right. <laughs> your stats start taking hits. Yeah, and I think that's the big thing is remember those stat hits that you get for even just bleeding out and recovering the body. I mean, those add up over time, so it, it you certainly start to lose the, oh, I'll just roll the body. Yeah, it, even if it's successful, it starts to hurt, so... Uh, but to answer the, the actual question, yeah, if, if if someone falls and if they're able to reach the body within a couple minutes, then it, I'm good with them trying to uh, recover the body, roll the body. Yeah, I mean, that, that's rules as written. Um, I don't have a problem with it. Um, and I think the, me- the game mechanic will solve the uh, blasé attitude after a while. And before we leave from Steven's thing, just a quick plug to him. Uh, Thick Skull Adventures did just release another adventure in their line, The Haunting of Larvik Island. He actually wrote it for 4E originally and is converted to DCC. And for folks interested, I've got some maps in that particular one, too. So, Well, that'll wrap it up for emails. Uh, let's do some Mighty Deeds. Wait a second. I have an idea. That's plenty for the both of us. I move... For no man. <laughs> Ow. So, we're a couple of weeks after the fact now, but uh, Gen Con, woohoo! All right. Yeah. I, I can now personally testify that Job does indeed have blue hair. You know what? I don't have blue hair anymore. I have I shaved my head down to the bone or the skin. <laughs> spell burning something there? <laughs> <laughs> A little spell burn. Uh, con season for me was over at the time, so I shaved my head, and then it was um, blue and uh, blonde and brown and gray and white. So I was like, "All right, I'm just going to shave my head with a razor." And then um, I saw my wife, and she got really mad at me. <laughs> Well, I, you know, it's always a tricky thing if you've never done it before because you got to have the right skull to pull that look off, like a Patrick Stewart skull. I have a pointy skull. I kind of look like Patrick Stewart. Well, you cracked me up at the convention when uh, uh, Job and I had shown up early enough, Jeffrey, to help uh, John Hirschberger and Michael Curtis set up the Goodman Games booth. We managed to weasel our way back there, and we're folding up cardboard stands and, and stuff like that. And Job and I had hung out for a while. And then he, we're walking all around, and he turns and he says, you know, you don't look anything like you sound on the podcast. <laughs> and, I, and, and I just decided, I, I thought for the longest time what that could possibly mean, and then I just decided not to worry about it. Not to think about it too much. So, Joe, what did you mean? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think it was partly like, um, you know, the, the, the rock and roll uh, biker pictures that we put on the website. Yep. Um, I, just, I thought you were like more of like a gruff a uh, gruffer, scarier guy, and you're just you're just a kitten. <laughs> oh, the, that picture of me on the website, I dress like that all the time, just not at Gen Con. <laughs> and that's why it was a funny part, because when I said, oh, yeah, I got you know I got the stage for the picture on the site, and it, Jen was all like, stage? That was me heading out to a game. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
how should we approach this? There was a ton of stuff. Here. Yeah, well, I, I don't know. Uh, uh, well, how about this? I mean, we'll just start with the big Dungeon Crawl Classics news, because there was all kinds of things announced, including, uh, I'm going to get ridiculous about this, Joe Bittman's secret project that he hadn't shared with us on air, and I didn't find out about till the convention. I hinted at it on the last episode, but I couldn't say anything. <laughs> The Monster Alphabet, the follow-up to the Dungeon Alphabet by Michael Curtis, is coming out in 2014. How fracking cool is that? You get to write yes. the sequel to Michael Curtis's Dungeon Alphabet. Yep. And uh, actually, he just sent me some uh, some uh, some of his entries today, so I, I haven't had a chance to look at them, but I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, that's going to be awesome, man. I'm pretty stoked, so... Yay! I can finally tell people it's in the uh, the Gen Con program book, so it's public knowledge. That's cool. Are you gonna Are you gonna remember us on the show after you've graduated to bigger and better things? Of course, I always put my friends, uh, weave my friends into everything I write. So, well, Jeffrey Jeffrey got a credit in that uh, my mini adventure and I and uh, the store is Wampler's General Store in uh, Into the Demon Idol. So, <laughs> awesome! <laughs> That's wow. great. <laughs> That's hysterical because I have a distant relative who has a store down in Tennessee called Wampler Store. <laughs> um, I guess we can talk about the upcoming slate of Dungeon Crawl Classic Adventures, of which you also have a couple coming out uh, this next year because they were announced in a program guide. I mean, those names are public knowledge now, right? Uh, yeah, it's it's all public and... Uh... I don't want to turn the show into me blowing my own horn or anything, but oh, you got to suck it up, dude! You got some great stuff coming out. Um, yeah, the one yeah, who watches, especially the the one I broke. <laughs> I hope I, I hope you didn't have to go back and rewrite it. Uh, do they have numbers yet? No, not that I know of. So okay, well there will there will be one called the one who watches below. The one who watches from below, and that was the mystery map contest entry that I uh, submitted. And uh, I got, I just got Doug Kovacs pencils for the the maps, and they are completely amazing. I got to see the pencils for the cover, which are also in the program guide, and it's gorgeous. Yeah, actually, some at the, at Gen Con, someone someone bought the pencil cover uh, of that module and the other one too. The uh, the, the other one that was announced is uh, Glip Cario's Gambit, and uh, I think that is going to be like one of the. Like like Tower Out of Time, like a special module. Oh, cool! I like those. Yeah, and and that's the one with the you know they have it in the program guide. So there's like a like a cat tentacle giant monster fighting people. So yeah, I'm not going to engage in any spoilers, obviously. But uh, if you have any kind of PTSD related to eyeballs, you do not want to play the one who watches from below. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I don't know. Do, I mean, do we want to dive into that, Jim, or go into it a little bit? I'm curious just because I entered that contest too, so I'm curious how it came out. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's your show. It's, it reveal as much as you want. I, I I can reveal that I got in a playtest session of it at the con that you ran and had a fabulous time. It was awesome. It's everything I expect out of a Dungeon Crawl Classics adventure. It was weird. It was spooky. I mean, I played a long time. So when you know you're describing a room and I and you get me to go, ooh, you know, you've done your job. Awesome. That's cool. That sounds great. Yeah, you guys didn't even see all the stuff, but uh, but there, uh, yeah, I don't want to say too much about it just because I there's like a I guess I don't know some gimmicks to it that are. 
that are different than I've, I've seen in other adventures. So Michael Curtis has done a kind of stuff along that line, but I think this is like beyond that even. So that's cool. Yeah, I, I feel, I feel bad one. to a certain extent. We did the typical player character thing where we missed all the rooms with clues and just went straight to the treasure. <laughs> oh yeah. Your group was hilarious because that was the first time that you missed every single freaking clue about what was going on in the in the place and you actually so in a certain sense i can't give away spoilers because we met i have no idea what was going on in that play <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's true but yeah and on top of it you know usually I, I, it, it's a long adventure and i usually cut out stuff like random random monster tables and stuff just for convention play to get people closer to the end and usually you know when it gets down to the hour mark i'm like okay we're gonna stop here i'm gonna tell you the cool you know real quick recap of kind of the cool encounters that you might have seen on the way and you're gonna start you know at the the finale basically here's the the bottom level of this place you guys found the bottom level all on your own with with plenty of time to do it on your own so so kids at home the old school rule is always turn left (laughs) <laughs> right. I was going to ask if that's the strategy that you went with because I had a player do that in a game, one of my first games back to gaming again, and I yeah, had this was... great maze, and they went left the whole way, and it's like, ah, oh, you went straight there. <laughs> uh, it, that works in two things, D&D and NASCAR. Always turn <laughs> <laughs> But uh, Jim, actually, I got you to do something that you said you were not going to do all weekend, didn't I? Okay, well, let's tell the whole story then. I had promised uh, Michael Curtis or swore that my goal for the entirety of Gen Con was not to spell burn once. I was going to play through every game and not spell burn. But I would like to argue that I still technically kept that promise because of the way I spell burn and the effects it had resulted in a character who hadn't spell burned. I would like to make that argument. <laughs> that is very interesting use of the rules. Kids at home, if you are shopping for patrons and you're not sure which one to take, let me tell you, you want the king of Elfland as your patron. Human players can take him as a patron, right? Human wizards? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they can. Yeah. And that's that's my patron of choice from this point forward, because apparently if you invoke patron and hit a high enough spell check, which you may have to spell burn to get to, um, you gain the ability to step back in time 1d6 rounds plus your level and warn yourself of about what's about what's to happen. It's especially useful if you're in the middle of a TPK. Uh, and that's funny you say that because we I played in a 13th Skull Adventure uh, Origins, and the only reason it wasn't a TPK was because of the King of Elfland. So <laughs> that is a very strong patron. Well, I think we can say this without giving too much away that um, the everyone was getting slaughtered or was down on the ground or screaming in pain or feared or whatever. One or two rounds away from a wipe. Easy. Yeah, and and Jim Spellburn went back in time, and he still didn't wasn't able to convince the rest of the party to get the hell out of there. <laughs> it's funny. I mean, I, I love this game so much, but I mean, you know, what a kudo for a game where you've reached a point where you have to start working out alternate timelines and how many copies of yourself are there in the room. Yeah, that was that was a good time. That was a good ending. <laughs> So let's see. We covered your two adventures. Pronounce that one for me again so I can say it right. The one who watches from below and... Glipkario's Gambit. Glipkario's Gambit. Is there anything you want to share with us about that one besides it's a level two adventure? 
if you can uh, go online and 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 look look at the cover of it, and that tells you a lot about what's going to happen in it. Has Has Goodman got the covers up now? I thought so. I thought it was posted somewhere. I don't know. If not, I'll I'll post it at this point. It was already in the program book, so anybody can see it that's got the program book. Yeah, I don't ever think it's a spoiler if it's on the cover. Like, okay. Yeah. Um, anyway, the adventure starts out with a bang, and you get uh, attacked by uh, this giant with a cat head and um, tentacles and giant wielding a tree stump um, who casts magic missile. So... It's fun. It's basically the the conceit is that um, uh, your patron needs you to uh, help them, so they enlist you and your party to come and help them out with something. Nothing funner than getting in between two deities, right? And uh, they, God, I can't believe how far in advance they. I guess this is basically most of the modules that'll be coming out in the next six or eight months. Um, there's one called "Intrigue at the Court of Chaos" by Mr. Michael Curtis, a level one adventure. The Black Mance by Harley Stroh. It's a level three adventure, and I, they were playtesting that at the con, and I couldn't get into any of those games. Have you played it? Either of you guys? I last year at Gen Con, I played something that was. In a manse, um, there was... Was it black? Uh, was it a black manse? Uh, it was black in the sense that uh, children's flesh, uh, baby flesh, was on the walls. And <laughs> a witch was making uh, little golems out of baby flesh and their bones. Um, and so I went to, to uh, Harley and I was like, is, is, is this that adventure? And he's like, oh yeah, no, that... That's not in there, it's, but it is sort of that adventure, some part of it, a long time ago. So uh, apparently, you know, talking to Harley, I, I was uh, uh, rooming with him this year, and um, apparently, when he does his playtest, every single playtest is com- is like wildly different than the actual adventure. I guess he like just throws all kinds of crap at the wall to see what sticks or something. I'm not sure exactly what his technique is. We'll have to ask him next time he's on. Well, and he has another adventure coming out uh, called Peril of the Purple Planet, which sounds pretty Edgar Rice Burroughs to me. Yeah, I thought so, too. I had actually signed up for that, and uh, I was wrong about the time. I thought it was in the afternoon. It was like 9 a.m. or something. I slept right through it. Oh, dude. I wish you told me. I'd have gone taking your seat. <laughs> Did you get into anybody's games at, uh, at Gen Con? Uh, I, I, because I didn't sign up in time to register for any games, I just, you graciously let me in your game when you had a couple of no-shows and the embassy, uh, bar games afterwards were all the, uh, DCC games I got into, which was plenty, especially Doug Kovacs game. I'm so glad I did that. You, do you think Doug would mind us talking about his game? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, the, the uh, Jeffrey, he did this genius uh, session he ran us through that's the reverse of Sailors of the Starless Seas. That's right. I saw someone mention, uh, Facebook or G+, someone mentioned that someone they ran it in reverse. So how did it go he, in reverse? He actually had the uh, print cover of Sailors of the Starless Seas color reversed, where it's like a, a color <laughs> negative. Uh-huh. Where his notes in it. You played the Beastmen who survived the uh, incident at the Ziggurat. And you have to try and get your way, fight your way out of the dungeon after the player after. characters have wrecked, wrecked everything. Oh wow! That's and that cool. does that. That sounds. You think that sounds cool? That does the premise no justice whatsoever. Because from there, it just spins into this LSD-driven Stanley Kubrick crazy. 
adventure. Wow. Yeah, he's got exp- he expands the beast uh, the beastmen charts too. Uh-huh. So you know y- you roll your level zero, and then uh, I think we added like a d four d six to the hit points just so that uh, the level zeros could stay alive. And then you roll on the on the expanded beastman chart to see what kind of a beastman you are. A- ask me what I played, Jeffrey. What'd you play? I played a halfling gypsy with the head of an elephant. <laughs> That was my beast man. Wow. Uh, Right. Exactly. Wow. My my favorite one in the game that I was running, uh, Doug and I did this like back to back thing where we were both running the reverse sailors of the Starless Sea. And then basically we were like, by the end, we were trying to kill off a few of the people. So, and then they united for like the finale at at Doug's table. Oh yeah, that's the, that's the one game I didn't survive because I survived Doug's session. But then when they brought the two groups together, I was the first survivor out. Bang, dead. No, but yeah, at our table, uh, man, we had a really awesome uh, uh, beast man. It was, uh, you know, uh, I don't know how to say this guy's name. Adam Makszewski. Yeah, I know uh, exactly who you're talking about. Kickassistan. Yeah, yeah, and his wife Katie uh, was awesome, and uh, she, what did she have? She had like a. She had a, a beast man that had like a marsupial pouch <laughs> and it was, it was, it was really tall. And, uh, so th- there was this one part where she like climbed up this really tall shaft and got shot at by like space Marines and she fell and died. But rather than like go back to Doug, uh, 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 because we rolled twice in the Beastman chart to find out like what beast was in her marsupial pouch. Um, so rather than go back to Doug to get his table of uh, expanded Beastmen, um, when she hit the ground, I said, okay, well, uh, the... Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Man, I screwed up already. Okay, it wasn't a marsupial pouch. She had another... She had the, the, the one in the Beastman chart where there's like a face coming out of your chest. Okay. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, the Quado yeah. one? Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. So I, when she hit the ground, I was like, okay, it was actually a marsupial pouch, and, you're, and you're, uh, you die, but your, your child gets launched out of the marsupial pouch <laughs> into the room, and then that's your new beast fan. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty bizarre. It sounds bizarre. Anyway, uh, Doug wrote, uh, drew these awesome um, titanic chaos creatures that, that people had to fight at the end. Sounds like a good time. That, those were the Embassy games? That's where that one happened at? One of the After Hours games? Yeah, it was pretty cool. It started out just a corner in the table that uh, everybody took over every night. And by the uh, Goodman Games meet and greet on Saturday, it was half the bar. Nice. Staked, staked out with people rolling crazy dice. That's awesome. Uh, Jim, I th- you were in that game the first night. Where it was like, wasn't it like you, me, Michael Curtis, Harley Stroh? Yeah, and my, yeah, Michael was really Doug excited. Keister. Michael was excited because he doesn't get to play. He always runs. Yeah, but uh, so Doug did this awesome, it was like a hack of DCC. It was um, like a hack of DCC and maybe Fiasco or something. So he had this whole deck of places, uh, factions. One deck of cards was our secret relationship to one other player character. Oh, well, no, no, no. That was a random table, wasn't it? I remember it being on a card. Anyway, somehow we all ended up working for Michael Curtis. Yeah, the, the <laughs> leper or something. I, I don't remember, but it was pretty cool. It was all set in the city of Punjar. <laughs> oh, okay. So, so Jeffrey, like the first, I don't know, 30, 40 minutes of the game, we were basically just coming up with a, like a crime that we wanted to do in Punjar. Mm-hmm. 
the best part was Doug left the table to go get a cup of coffee and was gone for a good solid 10 minutes. And we ran the, his game without him. When he came back, he's like, okay, what's going on? And we told him what had been going on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, you missed it, Jim. The, the second night we did that again, but we did it. Uh, we did a dual DM thing. Uh, Doug, Doug Kovacs and I, same thing ever. We had the cards go around. We had two groups and we we wove them together at the end and and made the two tables into a group of I freak I don't know twelve to sixteen people were there, and uh, so then we did this thing where uh, there there was like a a riot in a brothel, and all these I don't know townsfolk slash cultists were like attacking, and the guards the town guards were keeping anybody from coming in or out, so Doug and I went around the table. One of us was like attacking people and the other one was letting them attack um, the other villagers that were coming. It was really cool. It, it sounds weird, but it was like a multi-GM tag team thing around around the table. And uh, uh, I've been trying to experiment. I, I want to experience more actually with, with doing like a multi-GM type of situation with like that or multi-user dungeons with, with multiple tables of GMs or something. Sounds pretty well, cool. Like a- I got to say it again. I mean, you kept up with Doug and and he was just like the most uh I mean, you you you'd think he had lost his mind in the middle of that game and then what he's describing to you would suddenly click and make sense and you're like, "Oh man, that's that's genius." We do we do we do need to do our victory lap though because the very first night, Wednesday night when we played, uh Jeffrey, it was a complete wipe except for me and Job. We survived. <laughs> Awesome. Yes. <laughs> we, we employed the time honor technique. Job, you want to tell? Yeah, we ran like hell. Yeah, we ran away. <laughs> just, just as everything broke loose all at once, towers are collapsing, Cthulian beasts are raging, and we saw our shot and took it and got the hell out. Sometimes that's the best way to go. I set everything on fire and I ran and hid. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Oh, I mean, the, the whole uh, con was great because. Uh, some of the guys like Doug and Michael I'd met before, but the entire Goodman Games crew was there, including Joseph Goodman, and lots of people that I only knew from online, like uh, Dieter Zimmerman and uh, Scott Mathis, who's writing the Hammer Horror uh, DCC supplement, uh, Wayne Snyder, who was uh, Doug's, quote, brother. I, I mean, those those guys, you probably knew most of those cats. No, you hadn't met Michael Curtis before. No, I, ha- I hadn't met anybody except Doug and, and Harley. So, yeah, I, I've been dealing with Joe through email and, and Michael a little bit through email for a while now, and it was cool to finally meet all those people. So It sounds like a great time. Wish I'd have been there. Well, next year, and it's a lot like it, it, it was at Gen Con at uh, Gary Con. So if you, if you get the chance, except there aren't the other extra 49,000 other people there. Yeah, I'm hoping maybe to pull off Gary Con this year. Yeah, that'd be cool. I'm prejudiced, but it's my single favorite con. Well, I think I'll like the smaller atmosphere, and I think I'll like the fact that it's a lot of the more of the OSR stuff. So I think I'll—I don't know—I think I'll like the feel of it. So Michael Curtis and I set out on a Grail quest this past Gary Con to go to the Lake Geneva Game Store, buy a D twenty, and then take it to Gary Gygax's plaque that's in the park and and fame rub on it. And we forgot there was a foot of snow on the ground. <laughs> we couldn't find it. <laughs> yeah. 
get your snow shovels out. What did you do? What did we do? We, uh, you know, we're player characters, dudes. We're not NPCs. We did. We just uh, replanned and borrowed Tim Cask's Jeep Cherokee to go to Walmart and get snow shovels, and broke his car on the way there. <laughs> had to get a, had to get towed back to the hotel. Oh my god! So next year, next year Gen Con for you, Jeffrey. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if I'm going to make Gen Con next year, but. I, I say this every year, though, so I'll probably end up going anyway. What are you talking about? Are you insane? You'll have like four or five times as many things in print to sign for people. Yeah, no kidding. Next year's the year you got to go, man. Right, right. It's it's all convincing the wife. And well, I got two of my daughters have a birthday on the first day of Gen Con. That you know, if it falls on August fourteenth again, it's like I don't know. It makes me feel really guilty. I, I got this. I, I, I negotiate in business all the time because. You get Joe to pay for this plane ticket because you've got all this stuff coming out to sign, and then you just pay for the wife, and she gets to come and do stuff in Indianapolis. Yeah, it, well, we did talk about maybe doing like a family trip. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Or maybe I'll just do like one day, not, you know, five days of madness. I should give the disclaimer I'm good at business negotiations, but I'm no use negotiating with a wife. <laughs> so. Neither am I. And Teeter, Teeter Zimmerman dressed up as Hugh the Barbarian. That's oh, right. That awesome. I saw those pictures too. And it was really good. It wasn't just he, he pulled it off. It was really good. Yeah, they looked good online. The pictures I saw, it looked pretty sweet. Well, when uh, I posed for a picture with him, and he put this big meat hook of an arm around my shoulder, and I'm like, why are you wearing sleeves? You've got the same arms as Hugh the Barbarian. <laughs> <laughs> this is starting to get weird, Jim. Ah, dude, it's, it's all a bromance. Not that there would be anything wrong with it if it wasn't. <laughs> So, was the Goodman booth busy when you guys were there? I mean, did they do a lot of traffic and stuff? I mean, they looked like they were getting creamed all the time to me. I never saw people work so hard in my life, especially Michael Curtis and John Hirschberger. They were just maniacs, because when when, uh, Michael wasn't running games, he was running the booth, and John is just like the quietest guy who's like the steady rock. He's like the Scotty down in the engine room, making sure everything's always running. That's cool. But good, I'm glad it was a good con for him. Yeah, I know. I know. Like Dak Ultimax crawls like sold out in no time flat. But I mean, there wasn't very many there. There was like a stack of fifteen or something, and I think they were gone in the first couple hours. Yeah, yeah, they heard, didn't even they didn't even make it the first day. And I think I think those uh, GM screens, the stack disappeared once. So I think they probably moved a lot of those too. And of course, you know, all of the they had the awesome uh, what was that uh, the special cover of um fates fell hand yeah yeah the special edition of fates fell hand and the dice bag that everybody wanted oh yeah yeah i got one of those tell you what joe goodman knows what he's doing when it comes to marketing because you got that dice bag for free if you spent 50 bucks and i almost did it twice <laughs> well i i i lucked out man i got uh i i don't know if you rolled on that that uh that table oh yeah you rolled on the table and got the belt buckle right jim I was buying programs for people at home trying to get additional roles. <laughs> so <laughs> That's cool. Man. But yeah, so so uh, for those that weren't there, if you if you bought the program book for you know it was like five bucks at the booth, it, it had some you know cool stuff about different uh, authors, info about what's coming up um, in the next year from Goodman Games uh, with DCC RPG and X Crawl, and it had um, the uh, the jeweler who dealt in Stardust. And like an X crawl adventure in the back too, so it was it was chock full of stuff. But you got to roll on a table of loot, and I rolled and got I think it was the a ten, 
which it said, I get $100 of merchandise for free at the Troll Lord Games booth. <laughs> That's awesome. So, so I thought it was a joke. And Joe wrote on a, he took his business card and wrote his name. And he's like, Joe won the $100 thing. And he's like, yeah, just go down there. So I thought he was just sending me there, you know, to, to you know, poke fun at these guys or something. So I walked down there and um, I gave them, gave him the card and I was just looking at stuff anyway. And then I uh, started to walk away and uh, they're like, Hey, hey, come back, come back. You're like, yeah, we're going to give you a hundred bucks of stuff. I'm like, what? Wow. Dude, you did, you did not tell me, me about this. Holy crap. Yeah. Yeah. Well, God, so much stuff happened that I just totally Man. forgot about it. Um, so I got all three like hardcover, like the core castles and crusades books that I've kind of been wanting to check out for a while. Yeah. That's awesome. And then I also got a, um, so I picked up Jim Ward's Tainted Lands box set. She uses the uh, the Siege engine, um, so it, it looks pretty cool. It had a it had a really cool cover, like kind of reminded me of Doom art or something. Nice, that's cool. Yeah, so um, that's funny. That turned out to be real because I, I, when you first said you won a hundred bucks at Troll Lord's booth, I'm all like, that's got to be that's a great joke. <laughs> you, <laughs> right, exactly. You, you got punked good, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I, I don't know. I spent like an extra twenty bucks or whatever, and I gave him some of my uh, my into the demon idol modules too. That's cool. And uh, they took my picture. I uh, I don't know. They said they're gonna taunt Joe with it later or something. <laughs> that's gonna well, be blackmail. You're gonna release your stuff, and then they're gonna start posting stuff on their Facebooks. Hey, here's Joe. At our again, sometimes when a player character gets caught between two patrons, sometimes it works out great. Yeah, I was holding up all my loot, grinning like the cat that they eat the canary. So, oh, we 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 have been remiss, uh, Joe, because speaking of patron, uh, the Dark uh, Master now has a named assistant. Harley lived up to his end of the bargain and put his nickname awarded to him on this show, onto an iron-on uh, to the back of his T-shirt and awarded at the convention. Strodor. Strodor. Yep, that's great. I saw the pictures of that too. Cool. Yeah, it was hilarious, man. He put it on the back of the, you know, the red uh, jersey. Uh, yeah, the DCC, uh, DCC shirt. shirt. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I have one of those, too. Though. I love that shirt. You know, there's something special about Goodman Games without getting all modeling about it, because I don't know about you guys. I've worked with a lot of game companies and a lot of people in the industry, and there's something about Goodman Games where every single person that's involved with that company is just the nicest human being on Earth. Like Harley and Joe... And Michael Curtis, of course. Well, I'll see what I can do about that. Yeah, you got a lot to live up there to, Joe. Oh, I, I, I forgot about you. That may be a little kink in it, but almost universally. I think me and Doug are the black sheep. <laughs> Doug's booth was great, too, while we're talking about booths. Yeah, I saw his last year at the show, and yeah, he has a good booth. It's pretty solid. Doug dragged me along to uh, you know the art show that they have every year at Gen Con. I missed it. And I'm an artist. I totally missed it. So he uh, he gave me his drink tickets because he's not drinking anymore. So I was like, yeah, sure, I'll come along. So I, I don't know if you guys have heard of this, but there's the, the Doug Kovacs Award. Have you heard of this, Jim? I, I've heard the story, but please tell it. I don't know. Uh, years ago, Doug Kovacs uh, or Doug, you know, was um, coming to Gen Con for years. And, and I guess he, you know, complained to, I, I don't know, J- uh, John Shindahedi or somebody. He was like, I've been coming to this for years and I haven't won anything. This is ridiculous. So on the spot, you know, that year they came up with a Doug Kovacs award. And uh, so basically, if uh, you can get the Doug Kovacs award by not being Doug Kovacs. 
<laughs> so that's one more. But they've been doing this for years now. You know, so. in some ways, that's better than an any winning an any, <laughs> right? So, so they've been doing this for years now, and actually, it's they stepped up their game this year. Diesel LaForce uh, was was like, you know, is one of the organizers for that, and he went out and uh, like hit up some plumbers or con- some construction people on the side of the uh, on one some side street. He got like a a toilet flange and pieces of piping and all kinds of stuff, and they glued it together and they and they wrote Doug Kovacs on it wrong, like they put like a backwards K or something. <laughs> 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 and so uh, I don't know, it's pretty hilarious. Oh man, I'm never so glad I went to anything in my life. But that was that convention was just huge. Forty nine thousand people this year. I thought last year was like 40 even or something. Yeah, I think it was something like that. I know it was like record attendance again this year. It keeps growing and growing. All I know is somewhere in there, there was a patient zero that had the worst flu I've had in a decade and gave it to me. That's all I know. I thought it was Concrud at first. No. Oh, man. Yeah, luckily I didn't get that this year. I usually do. Poor Tim Cass went down with it. Michael got it. I, I must have uh, made a bunch of luck checks here because I went to three cons and didn't get sick. Wow, that's pretty lucky. Michael, Curtis, and I's theory is that we ate too often at Steak and Shake because we were there every day. So maybe Patient Zero was at Steak and Shake. I don't know. Well, anything else uh, Gen Con report oriented? Well, what about the Saturday Hangout? Oh, I forgot all about that. The big Goodman Games meet and greet. Yeah, how'd that go? Huge, for one thing. Was it? That, that that was the night where we had like half the bar taken over. Yeah, there was like 25 plus people when we started breaking up in gaming. And I think more people showed up as the night went on. That's awesome. Lots of people from the Google Plus group and the forums. Tons and tons. Cool. Yeah, I met um, Jurgen Meyer. Mayor. Yep, yep. And recognized the name there, G Plus. Yeah, and uh, I got into Scott Mathis's um, Transylvania Adventures game. Okay, that so pretty- that's a lot of fun. I'm really looking for for that one to come out. And uh, I was on a insane uh, d- hot dice streak. You know, like right off the bat, I, my you know my character like jumped in and, and swam across. He's like, "Oh, you see a shark fin?" And I'm like, "Yeah, okay." So I just you know he's like, "You start swimming quickly." I'm like, "No, I don't. I'm just swimming slowly, taking my time." And uh, you know, the shark attacked me and I, I like critted. Like, I was like, I want to bite the, the bite its fin off and kick it in the gills. And I roll and I got a 20. And he was like, what the hell? He's like, okay, you do that. And then he attacked so, so me. So hang like, on, hang on, back it up, back it up. So your mighty deed was I bite it in the gills and take off its fin? Uh, well, I, I know I bit its fin and kicked it in the gills. Oh, okay, sorry. And uh, so, he, you know, he kept trying to, to hurry me to the shore. And I'm like, no, I'm just, I'm just taking my time. And he attacked me like four times. And I rolled like an 18, a 19, and another 20. <laughs> <laughs> oh, player characters. Uh, I was like, yeah, do your worst. Come on. What else you got? Anyway, so we had a blast. He did, uh, he ran Tower Out of Time, but reskinned it with this kind of... I don't know, dastardly uh, mustache twirling villain. So it's cool. I see what you did there. He ran Tower to Time and reskinned it. <laughs> Since the tower has skin on it, never mind. On that awkward note, <laughs> I got where you were coming from on that one. <laughs> we record these things so very late at night for an old man. Okay. Uh, 
so the hangout was fantastic. That's cool. That's good to hear. I thought that was cool. They did that, try to get everybody together like that and chance to meet. I thought that was good. Oh, the other thing that for to me that that was funny at Saturday hangout is, uh, Jim, did you uh, when you played um, my adventure? Did you did you get to the did you get to the room where it had um, the name of the the thing in it? I not that I recall. There was something the runes. There, there was something I pulled a read magic out of my ass on that helped us, but I can't remember what it was. Okay. Anyway, so uh, the other group played through that, and it's this really long like name twisted name and so uh katie um uh wits came up to me and she's like opened up her notebook and she's like so uh, i've been working on this and she showed me like all this like she thought was an anagram or something and she had like two pages of notes of all the things that all these letters could spell (laughs) i just started laughing at her i was like i just made it up that's that's got to be one of those moments where you go okay this is why i did this (laughs) right this is why i became a writer Uh, is it a spoiler for the one who watches from below to talk about the innovative new game mechanic you invented that's present only in that module? Uh, I don't know, because if a lot of players listen to it, it might ruin it. I don't know. I, I, I didn't want to talk about it. Okay, well, we won't talk about it except to say that when the adventure comes out, Joe Bittman invented a new uh, role-playing technique that's only in his module. And it is awesome. That ought to be good. He can tell you off air if you don't already know. The thing that was crazy about the Hangout is, like, in their marketing for Dungeon Crawl Classics, the posters always say, join the band. You know, so much so our email address is band at spellburn.com. That's what it was like to me. It was like a big party where the band's there, the roadies are there, the groupies are there, all hanging out, having a good time. Where were the groupies? I am trying my best to work my way up from groupie to roadie, but I'm one. Oh, you mean that kind of group? <laughs> Does your wife listen to this podcast? <laughs> Apparently no, not. <laughs> not. That's why he's locked in a recording closet. <laughs> if, if if you don't know, you're about to find out. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, that's been a mighty, mighty episode. I'm a little uh, spell burned right now myself. Um, has anybody got anything else? Jim, it was great meeting you finally and uh, gaming with you. That That was the most important part of it. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Yeah, thanks for listening. Keep those emails coming. And we'll see you next episode for The Spell Duel. Goodbye. Bye, everyone. The Spellburn Podcast is a production of Wild Games Productions in association with d20radio.com. The Spellburn theme music is provided by the band Glitter Wizard. You can find them at glitterwizard.bandcamp.com. Tonight's episode was made possible by a grant from the Foundation for the King of Elfland, a few lucky rolls on a d20, and the generous support of listeners just like you. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Spellburn. Spellburn.